0: Section 11 of Mark Twain's Autobiography, Volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. New York, Friday, February 9, 1906. The strong language episode in the bathroom. Susie's reference to The Prince and the Pauper. The mother and the children help edit the books. Reference to Ancestors. SUSIE'S REMARK ABOUT MY STRONG LANGUAGE TROUBLES ME, AND I MUST GO BACK TO IT. ALL THROUGH THE FIRST TEN YEARS OF MY MARRIED LIFE, I KEPT A CONSTANT AND discreet WATCH UPON MY TONGUE WHILE IN THE HOUSE, AND WENT OUTSIDE, AND TO A DISTANCE, WHEN CIRCUMSTANCES WERE TOO MUCH FOR ME, AND I WAS OBLIGED TO SEEK RELIEF. I prized my wife's respect and approval above all the rest of the human race's respect and approval. I dreaded the day when she should discover that I was but a whited sepulchre, partly freighted with suppressed language. I was so careful during ten years that I had not a doubt that my suppressions had been successful. "'Therefore I was quite as happy in my guilt "'as I could have been if I had been innocent. "'But at last an accident exposed me. "'I went into the bathroom one morning to make my toilet "'and carelessly left the door two or three inches ajar. "'It was the first time that I had ever failed "'to take the precaution of closing it tightly.' I knew the necessity of being particular about this, because shaving was always a trying ordeal for me, and I could seldom carry it through to a finish without verbal helps. Now this time I was unprotected, and did not suspect it. I had no extraordinary trouble with my razor on this occasion and was able to worry through with mere mutterings and growlings of an improper sort but with nothing noisy or emphatic about them no snapping and barking then i put on a shirt my shirts are an invention of my own they open in the back and are buttoned there when there are buttons this time The button was missing my temper jumped up several degrees in a moment and my remarks rose accordingly both in loudness and vigor of expression but i was not troubled for the bathroom door was a solid one and i supposed it was firmly closed i flung up the window and threw the shirt out it fell upon the shrubbery where the people on their way to church could admire it if they wanted to. There was merely fifty feet of grass between the shirt and the passer-by. Still rumbling and thundering distantly, I put on another shirt. Again, the button was absent. I augmented my language to meet the emergency, and threw that shirt out of the window i was too angry too insane to examine the third shirt but put it furiously on again the button was absent and that shirt followed its comrades out of the window then i straightened up gathered my reserves and let myself go like a cavalry charge in the midst of that great assault My eye fell upon that gaping door, and I was paralyzed. It took me a good while to finish my toilet. I extended the time unnecessarily in trying to make up my mind as to what I would best do in the circumstances. I tried to hope that Mrs. Clemens was asleep, but I knew better. I could not escape by the window— It was narrow and suited only to shirts. At last I made up my mind to boldly loaf through the bedroom with the air of a person who had not been doing anything. I made half the journey successfully. I did not turn my eyes in her direction, because uh, that would not be safe. It is very difficult to look as if you have not been doing anything anything when the facts are the other way, and my confidence in my performance oozed steadily out of me as I went along. I was aiming for the left-hand door, because it was farthest from my wife. It had never been opened from the day that the house was built, but it seemed a blessed refuge for me now. The bed was this one wherein I am lying now, and dictating these histories morning after morning with so much serenity. It was this same old elaborately carved black Venetian bedstead, the most comfortable bedstead that ever was, with space enough in it for a family, and carved angels enough surmounting its twisted columns. AND ITS HEADBOARD AND FOOTBOARD TO BRING PEACE TO THE SLEEPERS AND PLEASANT DREAMS. I HAD TO STOP IN THE MIDDLE OF THE ROOM. I HADN'T THE STRENGTH TO GO ON. I BELIEVED THAT I WAS UNDER ACCUSING EYES, THAT EVEN THE CARVED ANGELS WERE INSPECTING ME WITH AN UNFRIENDLY GAZE. You know how it is when you are convinced that somebody behind you is looking steadily at you. You have to turn your face. You can't help it. I turned mine. The bed was placed as it is now, with the foot where the head ought to be. If it had been placed as it should have been, the high headboard would have sheltered me. But— The footboard was no sufficient protection, and I could be seen over it. I was exposed. I was wholly without protection. I turned, because I couldn't help it, and my memory of what I saw is still vivid after all these years. Against the white pillows I saw the black head. I saw that young and beautiful face, and I saw the gracious eyes with a something in them which I had never seen there before. They were snapping and flashing with indignation. I felt myself crumbling. I felt myself shrinking away to nothing under that accusing gaze. I stood silent under that desolating fire for as much as a minute, I should say, it seemed a very, very long time. Then my wife's lips parted, and from them issued my latest bathroom remark. The language perfect, but the expression unpractical, apprentice-like, ignorant, inexperienced, comically inadequate, absurdly weak, and unsuited to the great language. In my lifetime I have never heard anything so out of tune, so inharmonious, so incongruous, so ill-suited to each other, as were those mighty words set to that feeble music. I tried to keep from laughing for I was a guilty person in deep need of charity and mercy. I tried to keep from bursting, and I succeeded, until she gravely said, "'There! Now you know how it sounds!' Oh, then I exploded. I said, "'Oh, Livy, if it sounds like that, God forgive me, I will never do it again.' Then she had to laugh herself. Both of us broke into convulsions and went on laughing until we were exhausted. The children were present at breakfast. Clara, aged six, and Susie, eight. And the mother made a guarded remark about strong language, guarded because she did not wish the children to suspect anything, a guarded remark which censured strong language both children broke out in one voice with this comment why mama papa uses it i was astonished i had supposed that that secret was safe in my own breast and that its presence had never been suspected i asked how did you know you little rascals oh they said WE OFTEN LISTEN OVER THE balusters WHEN YOU ARE IN THE HALL EXPLAINING THINGS TO GEORGE!" FROM SUSIE'S BIOGRAPHY One of Papa's latest books is The Prince and the Pauper, and it is unquestionably the best book he has ever written. Some people want him to keep to his old style. Some gentlemen wrote him, I enjoyed Huckleberry Finn immensely and I'm glad to see that you have returned to your old style. That annoyed me, that annoyed me greatly, because it troubles me." Susie was troubled by that word and uncertain. She wrote a U above it in the proper place, but reconsidered the matter and struck it out. To have so few people know Papa, I mean really know him, they think of Mark Twain as a humorist joking at everything, and with a mop of reddish-brown hair which sorely needs the barber's brush, a Roman nose, short stubby mustache, a sad, careworn face with many crow's feet, etc. That is the way people picture Papa. I have wanted Papa to write a book that would reveal something of his kind sympathetic nature, and the prince and the pauper partly does it. The book is full of lovely, charming ideas, and, oh, the language, it is perfect! I think that one of the most touching scenes in it is where the pauper is riding on horseback with his nobles in the recognition procession, and he sees his mother, oh, and then what followed? how she runs to his side when she sees him throw up his hand-palm outward and is rudely pushed off by one of the king's officers and then how the little pauper's conscience troubles him when he remembers the shameful words that were falling from his lips when she was turned from his side i know you not woman and how his grandeurs were stricken valueless and his pride consumed to ashes it is a wonderfully beautiful and touching little scene and papa has described it so wonderfully i never saw a man with so much variety of feeling as papa has now the prince and the pauper is full of touching places but there is most always a streak of humor in them somewhere. Now in the coronation, in the stirring coronation, just after the little king has got his crown back again, Papa brings that in about the seal, where the pauper says he used the seal to crack nuts with. Oh, it is so funny and nice papa very seldom writes a passage without some humor in it somewhere and i don't think he ever will the children always helped their mother to edit my books in manuscript she would sit on the porch at the farm and read aloud with her pencil in her hand and the children would keep an alert and suspicious eye upon her right along for the belief was well grounded in them that whenever she came across a particularly satisfactory passage she would strike it out their suspicions were well founded the passages which were so satisfactory to them always had an element of strength in them which sorely needed modification or expurgation and was always sure to get it at their mother's hand for my own entertainment and to enjoy the protests of the children i often abused my editor's innocent confidence i often interlarded remarks of a studied and felicitously atrocious character purposely to achieve the children's delight and see the pencil do its fatal work i often joined my supplications to the children's for mercy and strung the argument out and pretended to be in earnest they were deceived and so was their mother it was three against one and most unfair but it was very delightful and I could not resist the temptation. Now and then we gained the victory, and there was much rejoicing. Then I privately struck the passage out myself. It had served its purpose. It had furnished three of us with good entertainment, and in being removed from the book by me, it was only suffering the fate originally intended for it from the biography papa was born in missouri his mother is grandma clemens jane lampton clemens of kentucky grandpa clemens was of the ffvs of virginia without doubt it was i that gave susie that impression i cannot imagine why because i was never in my life much interested by grandeurs which proceed from the accident of birth i did not get this indifference from my mother she was always strongly interested in the ancestry of the house she traced her own line back to the lambtons of durham england a family which had been occupying broad lands there since saxon times i am not sure but i think that those lambtons got along without titles of nobility for eight or nine hundred years, then produced a great man, three-quarters of a century ago, and broke into the peerage. My mother knew all about the Clemenses of Virginia and loved to aggrandize them to me, but she has long been dead." There has been no one to keep those details fresh in my memory, and they have grown dim. End of section 11. New York, Friday, February 9th, 1906.